0: Last week, we started looking at the life of Nehemiah. Uh, I, I'd actually developed this two-part message early in the year, and I taught it to a few people in a leadership class that, uh, uh, and, and so, I thought it was uh, worthy of spreading it around a little bit, so so uh, uh, I'm sharing this little two-parter with you. It fit good in my schedule, and I think it's good for you. We're talking about leadership lessons from the life of Nehemiah. Now, what you're going to learn tonight is that j- even though you're not the leader, you have the power to lead. Even though you're not the leader, we think of the leader as the guy in charge. But let me tell you something. God doesn't look for people that are that are in charge and put them in positions of leadership. He finds people with leadership qualities and He, he places them in places where, as we'll learn tonight, they're not necessarily naturally graced for, but they have a gift on the inside of them. And He will awaken the gift. And what I want to see in you and I, what I want to see in me more and more, that the the gift and the grace of leadership begins to rise in us. Uh, And some people, you know, I'm not a leader. Let me tell you something, there's all kinds of leaders. And really, you know, John Maxwell said this, and it's kind of, it it is true, but not totally true, I think. He said, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. I think it's a little more deep than that, but it certainly encapsulates what I'm trying to say to you. You don't have to have a name tag with with boss on it to be a leader. You don't have to have a position in the church to be a leader. Are you with me? Uh, and so there are people who are leading and they're not the leader. So so this is what we're going to learn from Nehemiah and really not only from him, but all those he he impacted. Uh, and so if you missed last Wednesday night, I really would encourage, I'm going to give you the quickie on last week. I really would encourage you to uh, go back and listen to that lesson. But I, I do have the quick. The, the, the quick rundown on it in a minute. So Nehemiah, here's the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was serving King Artaxerxes, uh, uh, post uh, right along the time that the children of Israel are coming out of what Babylonian captivity and so they're filtering back and uh back in, into their homeland and what we find uh is uh that when they got there the report began to come back and it came back it and I won't go back and read uh, Nehemiah 1 and 2 it came back to Nehemiah who was Jewish it was his this was his this was his heritage that uh, the walls of Jerusalem were broken down and its gates were burned with fire, and now Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. He is a servant, and we learned last week that he's not only a servant to Artaxerxes, uh, but he's a servant of God. And so the uh, the burden of the Lord came upon him. And you, read, if you missed last week, read chapter one and two, and you'll find the burden of the Lord came upon him to do something. And God gave him favor with King Artaxerxes and King Artaxerxes basically gave him a blank check to say, hey, do what's in your heart. And so he goes back. And with a few of his brothers, we don't know how many, but they they spied out the land. Chapter two, they saw it, uh, and its walls were broken down, gates were burned with fire. And and Nehemiah, the cupbearer to the king, those uh, uh, the the people who had come back the 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 who had returned to their homeland after Babylonian captivity, he began to inspire them. And and uh, gosh, that's in chapter three. Uh, let me just read verse. Pardon me, chapter two. Uh, Let me just read 17 and 18. He said, "'Then I said to them, "'You see the distress that we are in, "'how Jerusalem lies waste "'and its gates are burned with fire?' Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of of my God, which had been good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us arise and build. And then I love this. Then they set their hands to this good work. Everybody say, set your hands. They set their hands on this good work. They got involved. And man, we know the story that even in the face of adversity, because how many of you know, Any anytime when you endeavor, you step out or when you set your hands to the good work, the, the, the enemies start coming to the top and uh Sanballat and Tobiah, they did everything in their power to hinder the rebuilding of the wall and hinder. They use ridicule. They use conspiracy, deception, uh, a compromise, all kinds of 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 uh you know uh, mechanisms and means to knock the children of Israel knock Nehemiah off off their goal and their god-given call and here's the cool part they rebuilt the wall in a miraculous 52 days now uh i i don't have my my uh, genealogy altogether, but I've been to Israel, I've been to Jerusalem, and if you go down, you've seen the Wailing Wall, right, where all the Jews come and pray. Well, down by the Wailing Wall, down beneath is some of the original wall uh, of the of the temple and the wall around Jerusalem. That uh, and I, again, I don't know. I'll have all my time span together, but there's one. There is one block. Remember this, Ryan? There's one block that is in this wall that you can get to that is so big in the wall that modern day cranes can't pick it up. And I'm just wondering how those folks do that. They had a mind to work. I'm just throwing that in to you. I don't, hey, uh, it's kind of like the pyramids. How'd they do that? We don't know, but they did it. Okay. My, somebody's answer was, how did the Egyptians build those pyramids? Well, the Jews built them. They were slaves. <laughs> <And> they, <laughs> they can do anything because they get a mind to work. Uh, so, uh, uh anyway, gosh, it's just, it's just a great story and you can learn leadership lessons. And so last week, I gave you ten and here they are, uh, and, and you can apply them however you want. I'm just going to read them. The first one was this. To be trusted with leadership, you have to be trustworthy. And that was the case with the cupbearer. He was very trusted. He kept the king from getting poisoned by drinking the king's drink before he did. Uh, he was very trustworthy. Number two, leadership is born from a burden for others. That's where he, he had this burden. This is, rep- this is from last week. Uh, he had a burden for others. Leadership's about others. It's not about climbing the ladder and finding yourself at the top going, Hey, man, I'm the boss. That's not leadership. Uh, it's born from a burden for others. Number three, we learned from Nehemiah that leadership begins at the place of prayer. He got a burden, and he didn't take off to Jerusalem he started talking to God. Uh l- listen, if you've got a burden for something, you better start talking to God and getting right with God and getting prepped to be used by God. Read chapter one. That's what he did. All right. And then uh, number four, leadership begins at the place of servitude. That's who that's who uh uh Nehemiah was. He was not a construction specialist. He was he didn't have his, you know, uh license as a contractor, a license. He would have never made it to Angie's list you, you got it. He's the cupbearer for goodness sake. Okay. But God used him in a mighty way. He was a servant. Number five, we learned leaders lead from many levels. We're going to see that again tonight. Uh, he influenced those above him, those beside him and those beneath him. That's what leader Leadership is not just about those below you. It's about those beside you and about those above you. He influenced the king. Are you with me? Say, man, I love this story. All right. And then number six, we learn leaders are not loners. He didn't do this by himself. Uh he he rallied people to begin to help him. Leadership, you know, some it's lonely at the top. It shouldn't be. Because if you're leading people, you're hanging around people. Are you with me? Amen. And then we learned from Nehemiah, leaders lead with purpose and vision. He was a man of purpose and vision. He communicated it. He com he committed to it. He communicated it. And then he completed it. Uh And so he led with vision and purpose. Number eight, leaders will always have their adversaries. That's always the case. Number nine, leaders inspire, not require. Now, that's a big one to me. Now, in modern day, even in secular business, let me tell you something. If you've got a domineering, bossy boss who's got a little ego in his system and he loves the fact that he can boss people around and he can... You know, it's big I, little you. Did you know the productivity of that mindset is way beneath a, a mindset that says, hey, we're a team, and together we can make a difference? Even though you're the boss, you don't have to be the, you understand what I'm saying. So we see in Nehemiah, he inspired these people. I read it to you. He, got, he inspired them, and they said, and that's the, you know, that's the challenge of church work you know you know if if you're in business you can hire them and fire them in church work it's it's 99% volunteers it's it's inspire people to give of their time talents and treasure to do kingdom business and to and to sacrifice and lay it on the line and that's what it's all about amen you know it's, in, in in fact we got to catch this on every level think anybody here work in the nursery okay you work in the nursery listen that's not the most glorious place. There's, there's, there's smelly things there. A lot of times it's my grandkids. They're smelly. And they, you know, they're, you know we call it poo-poo pants. You got poo-poo pants. Uh, but let me tell you something. You're not going to get people working in the nursery going, a smelly diaper going, you wouldn't want to work in the nursery, would you? It's pretty stinky in there. No, you have to inspire people. Man, these children are awesome. We love these kids. Man, they're great. We want to help them even in their earliest years to have an influence in their life of love and care and a a message from Christ. And, And see, on every level, we inspire people rather than require people. You know, there's one thing about we could do, and it's never worked. Every parent who has a kid has to serve their due diligence in the children's church. Now, how many of you know that just, just fire just gets you all warm and fuzzy? Now, how many of you know that ought to be true, but it doesn't work when you just you better you got a kid you got to get in there and, you got to get in there and suffer for Jesus too. That's just not leadership, is it? All right, all right, Amen. I, I always pick on the nursery workers. So, uh, uh, but I love that lesson. Here's number ten: Leaders are not self reliant; they're God dependent. And we see that in verse 20, the last uh, verse of Nehemiah 2. Now, tonight, we're going to look at uh, Nehemiah 3, 4, uh, and 5, and then finish in 6. I'm going to give you 10 more leadership lessons. I'm just going to pull them from the story because here's the story. From chapter 3, he inspires people, and people start volunteering. And they start working. There's opposition, but in 52 days, they finish the wall. That's those next three chapters. And I'm going to give you 10 more leadership lessons from those, uh, from those next next three or four chapters. Are you ready? Everybody ready? Here we go. And we're going to talk about we're going everyone's great leaders. Now, let me just tell you. I believe God wants us all to be great leaders. And I hear I hear people all the time go, "Well, I'm just not I'm just not I'm just not a great leader. I'm just not well, if that's what you want to be. But listen, all of us on some level need to be great at influencing others and inspiring people and leading people. That's who we are. We're the church, for goodness sake. Amen? Are are you with me? Say amen. Here we go. So great leaders, number one, great leaders don't hesitate to delegate. They don't hesitate to delegate. And you know what chapter 3 is? It's all about everybody jumping on board and getting involved uh, in the work of the Lord. Now, you got to understand... and, and, and everyone, and here's, here's the cool part. They were all different types of people doing different kinds of things, but understand something. When you look at it, uh, uh, there's this, this reality that we, anything significant for the kingdom. Hey, even on this minor, the, the children of El Mirador, I knew I was way out of my, my capacity to pull this off. And it looks like, uh, uh we're not saying stop bringing money, but it looks like we're going to meet our goal pretty quickly. Uh but at the same time I don't know where our goal is because we hadn't started buying clothes yet. We think we know where this goal is, but I'm certainly not going to say, "Hey, $6,000 our goal," and then Tom call me and say, "Well, we got everything but the shoes. We need another 2 and they have to come back and go, eh. "So, uh so it was, seemed overwhelming to me how on earth am I going to do this? You know what I've been doing for the last 3 weeks? I've been inspiring people. I I, I told you about the the Went to the barber shop. I inspired a stranger. Never met him before in my life. Gave me a check for $50. Never met him before in my life. I'm telling you, I'm going, I love this. Everybody wants to help the kids. Uh, And so so it becomes anything of significance requires others to do it. And so we see that. And we're going to look in chapter 3, and I'm going to show you some interesting things. But listen, kingdom accomplishment is always a team effort. Always. And here's the second line, the secret to success in most organizations is the ability to motivate the secondary leadership team around you. Those, those people around you that are really doing the work, you know, I, you know, I get big ideas and then I realize I, I can't do these myself. I've got to get others on the board with me. We've got to accomplish this thing together. You know, I've got to, hey, woo, eva- hey t- 2015, the year of evangelism. But let me tell you something, I'm not the evangelist. Okay. And, and I don't know your friends and you don't know mine and, and, and we don't know. Hey, so what, what do I do as the leader? I'm blowing the trumpet. Man, it's, it's a long way till March 15th, but what am I doing with you tonight? I'm, I'm, I'm realizing it's going to take a team effort. Great leaders don't hesitate to delegate. I used to think that you had to run everybody through the ringer of, 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 uh, uh, scrutiny before they could hand out a bulletin. I mean, you know, give me blood. Now, it's you don't put crazy people in important positions. You understand what I'm saying? There, There is some, you know, some... But here, don't hesitate to delegate because, hey, we can't do this by ourselves. Look at your neighbor and say, we can't do this by ourselves. Great leaders, they don't hesitate to delegate. We learned that from Nehemiah. Number two, in times of great need... Now, catch this one. This is huge. How many of you know there are seasons when all of a sudden great needs come? And, and my favorite hero about this, uh, and let me fill in the blank and then I'll go back. In times of great need, great leaders lead beyond their gifting. Now, even I don't know about your politics. I loved the last Bush president. I just... Something in me wants to go fishing with him. I love the guy, and and he sold me when he stood up on that pile of rubble at nine eleven, and and un, without with no preparation, no teleprompter, the leader rose up in him and said, "The people who knock down these walls will hear from us." And I went, "Whoo, man!" I was trying to figure out how to get to New York City and how to how to. Uh, I thought, would they take a a fat guy in the military. I I'm, man, I want to go. Doesn't it, didn't it I don't know, man, it just make you give me that helicopter back. I'm ready to let's do this. And so uh, wow. Uh but that's what Nehemiah was the cupbearer. He was not gifted in this. But great leaders in time of great need, they rise to the occasion. And he and let me just say, God will grace you in times of great need to do things you're not gifted at. Now, let me show you this. This is cool. Look in chapter 3, verse 1. I'm just going to pull out some verses. Then Eliashib, the high priest. Now, the high priest, okay? Everybody say high priest. Not the altar boy, the high priest. What did he do? He stood around and prayed for everybody while they worked. Lord bless the No, the high priest rose up. I love this. I, I, this just thrills me. He rose up with his brethren, the the priests, and built the sheep gate. Can you see this now? I'm just kind of I'm just making up my little story here, but I'm sure that everybody had some level of construction capacity. But can you see all the priests going? Anybody got a hammer? <laughs> No, they rose up, man. They said, "Let's do this thing." The high priest. Look in verse eight. I love this one. Next to him, uziel the son of ha- I can't say this Harhayimai or whatever. One of the goldsmiths made repairs. A goldsmith. Also next to him was Hananiah, one of the perfumers made repairs, and they fortified Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. I'm telling you, these guys. This was they were perfumers. Can you imagine, he's the guy that has a job that you don't get your fingernails dirty, I'm telling you. Hey, would you like a square? I mean, and but here, what do we see them doing? They're Here it is. Nehemiah rose above his gifting in time of great need. And what did everybody else do? They followed suit. Boom. We can do it too. Let me show you another one. Uh, uh, let's see, verse 12, did I read that? No. And next to him was Shalom. Oh, I love this one. Now catch this, ladies. Next to him was Shalom, the son of... Halahesh, leader of half the district of Jerusalem, he and his daughters made repairs. Now again, we're not talking about fixing a fence here. We're talking about massive gates, massive walls. It's amazing. Look at verse uh, uh, 17. I should probably quit because there's too many of these. And after him, the Levites under... Uh Rahu uh Rehum, the son of Bani, made repairs next to him. Uh ha- Hashabai, leader of half the district of Kileah, made repairs of the district, and it just goes on and on and on. Different people from different places. Verse thirty one, see what that says. After him Macaliah, one of the goldsmith made repairs as far as the house of Nethium, and one of the merchants in front of the, uh, Mifkod gate, as far as an upper room in the corner, uh, and it just, you know, just people, everybody put their hands to the good work. And they were people of influence. And how'd that happen? Because of Nehemiah's leadership. Everybody, uh, the bar was raised and everybody, and everybody worked together and put their hand to the good work. So in times of great need, great leaders lead beyond their gifting. Number three, great leaders bring clarity in the midst of confusion. They bring clarity in the midst of confusion. Now, I'll just tell you this story in chapter 4. As they started to build, Sanballat and Tobiah came and began to ridicule. What are, look at verse 2. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of the rubbish? Stones that are burned? And and it just goes on. Oh, I love Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. And he said, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, it will break down their stone wall. I'm telling you, these guys, how many of you know in 52 days they were eaten? And they even had to say the hand of God was upon them. So, all this opposition. To bring confusion and undermine the process, look in verse 7. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and that the gaps were beginning to be closed. They became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem, catch this, and create confusion. Could I tell you today, could could I digress or maybe get a, listen, one of the biggest deals the devil throws, he's the author of what? Confusions, what the scripture says. And when you set your hand to a good work, what he will endeavor to do, and he will use people to help you do this, to confuse you. And when you get confused, have you ever been really confused? I mean, when you just, man, I'm, have, how productive were you? when you were going which way do i go which way do i go did i hear god or did i not hear god is this god's will or is it not god's will maybe i shouldn't be doing this oh i'm so confused let me tell you something that's the enemy's tactic he is the author of confusion and great leaders in the middle of that step up and say let's keep our uh one of the let me just keep our eyes clear let's keep our Ron Hammonds is the best guy I in fact, we were with them uh, at our board of directors fellowship. And, and uh, you know, I, I just love the guy because, you know, you could throw out. We were talking about uh, some things that were happening. Uh, you know, what are we going to do this about that? And he said, I don't let those things get me off track. I thought, there, there's Nehemiah kind of guy right there. I don't let, hey, I got too much to do for Jesus for us to sit around and talk about this. And he wasn't being chastising. What is he saying? We're getting on track. He brings clarity in the middle of confusion i just great leaders have a capacity to do that. How many of you know, uh, it would, it would not be good for us if we were going through a real tough time for me to get up and go, people, I'm pretty confused about this. I don't know what we're going to do. Anybody got any suggestions? (laughs) How many of that gives you all kinds of confidence? (laughs) Great leaders bring clarity. And that's what he did. Look in verse, it says they came, conspired to them. Verse nine of chapter four, uh, all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Look in verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. Our adversaries said, they will neither know, uh, know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came That they told us ten times from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall. See, he's bringing clarity. Catch this. He positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall according to their families with their swords, their spears. He brought organizations, their bows, and I looked and I rose and I said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the peoples, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your daughters and your son, your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your, and your houses. And it happened when the enemies heard it, That it was known to us that that God had brought their plot to nothing. That all of us returned to the wall. Everyone to his work. How did that happen? Because a leader stepped up in the middle of a confusing moment and said, Listen, God will take care of us. Don't fear this. Stand up, almighty men of God. I love it. They bring clarity in the midst of confusion. Do that in your house. Don't let your kids see you confused. You might be confused. Don't let confusion rule and reign in your house, in your home, in your business. Be a person of influence. There you go. I love it. Uh, and so therefore, verse 9, This here's two thoughts. Uh, in the middle of times of confusion, keep your eyes on the Lord. Verse 9, what did he say? He said. Uh, he said, nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And then he said, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. You keep your eyes on God and you keep your eyes on your enemies. That's wisdom in the times of, hey, I'm just keeping my eyes on God, but I got one eye on my enemies. I'm not letting them do this to me. Nehemiah was great at that. Here we go. Number four. Another, uh, another leadership lesson from Nehemiah. Great leaders always bring faith into the fight. They always bring faith into the fight. Look at verse 14 and 15. I, I read it. I read verse 14. Uh, but I'll read verse 15 after he said, remember the Lord great and awesome and fight for your brethren. Uh, what's he saying? Have, have confidence and faith in God. Remember the Lord great and awesome. We're, we're not serving a pipsqueak God. He's great and awesome. Everybody say he's great and awesome. Now, and let me tell you something the enemy what he's going to try to do is get you to forget that and when you forget that you're going to lose your faith and not be able to fight the fight and it, and look at verse 15 and it happened when our enemies heard it it was made known to us that the god had brought their plot to nothing that, that we all returned to the wall everyone to his own work so uh, a great leaders bring faith into the fight we can do this amen we are victorious hallelujah <clears throat> number five Great leaders bring righteous correction in the midst of unrighteous corruption. Great leaders bring righteous correction in the midst of, of unrighteous corruption. Now, this is an amazing thing to me. In the middle of this 52-day miracle, people started getting greedy. Greedy. And basically, what happened in from verse 1 through 6? The nobles were taking advantage of the returning slaves by charging them interest and exacting usury. They started making money off these people who had come back from nothing, Babylonian captivity, had nothing. Now they're helping rebuild the wall. And 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 the money grab got on. Uh, and so uh, Nehemiah brought correction into the midst of this unrighteous corruption. Uh, and he, and here's the cool part, because in verse six and seven, look what he said. Now, this is an important leadership truth in and of itself. Look in these two verses. And I became very angry when I heard their outcry and their words. In other words, they're saying, these guys are ripping us off. We're trying to help and they're, we were in bondage back in In Babylon, and they're putting us under financial bondage. Now, catch this principle. Everybody ought to go home with this in their pocket. He said he became angry. Well, after I heard their outcry and their words. Now, verse 7, after serious thought. Everybody say, after serious thought. In other words, what did Nehemiah not do? He didn't react. Leadership, they, hey, listen, they don't react to unrighteous corruption. They respond with righteous correction. And so that's a leadership truth right there. If you're a leader, hey, you, you, what does it say? What's the scripture say? Uh, uh, slow to anger. What is it? Slow to speak, slow to anger. In other words, you don't pop off. Leaders, No better than letting their words ensnare them. And so what we see in this passage, after serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said to them, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them. And I said to them, according to your own ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now indeed, will you even sell your brethren or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. And then I said, what you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? Now, where did he get that? He got that from the leadership, from his leadership core. And he, out of not reacting, he brought righteous correction. And they all said, in fact, let me just read on uh, verse 10. I also with my brethren and my servants am... And lending them money and grain, please let us stop this usury. Restore now to them even this day their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses, also a hundredth of the money and the grain and the new wine and the oil that you have charged them. So they said, we will restore it and will require nothing from them, and we will do as you say. Then I called the priests, and they required an oath from them that they should do according to this promise. Then he, then he shook off the fold of his garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. Everybody say, Amen. And praise the Lord. Then the people did according to this promise. I love this. He's the cupbearer for goodness sake. But he rose to a whole new level of leadership, and when he saw this corruption going on, and this scheming, and this money-making gig going on, he stepped up, and after serious thought, he got the Holy Ghost on him, if you can say it that way, and stood up and, and rebuked them under the leadership anointing that God had given him, and they got it. Amen? So, number six, here we go. Great leaders don't fear a call to commitment. They don't fear calling people to a whole new level of commitment. And this is in verse 12 and 13 of that illustration. He, he, asked, he said, this is not right. And they said, okay, we'll restore it. And then, I love this part, because they said, we'll do it. We'll do it according to the promise. And he said, okay, uh, 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 I'm calling the priests, and we're making an oath. You're signing on the dotted line. You know what I've learned about church folk? They'll well, I've learned about a lot of church folk. They'll sign on the dotted line for just about anything. I'm going to buy a house. Do you have to sign on the dotted line? Do you? You're going to buy a car. Do you have to sign on the dotted line? Yeah, we don't care. Hey, we don't mind signing on the dotted line. You're, you're going to get married. Do you have to sign on the dotted line? Yeah, yeah. You got to make commitments. You sign on the dotted line, and, and, and then you come to church. And 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 you, hey, here's our covenant commitment for our, our new members. We're we're committing, you know, to to be faithful to God, faithful to our church, and serve the Lord. Oh, brother, now you, are I just don't know about that. Okay, well, wait a minute. Here's Nehemiah going. You said you'd do it. Make an oath. I love that. He was. Hey, great leaders. What do they do? They don't fear a call to commitment. They raise the bar of righteousness for those they lead. That's number six. Uh, if anybody's there up back there, hello, boom. Anybody there? Okay, here we go. Number six, boom. Is it stuck? Okay, all right. There it is. They don't. They don't fear a call to commitment. In other words, they don't mind. S- Saying okay, this we're committing together. How many of you? Barbara and I've been married. We made a covenant commitment, right? It wasn't one-sided. It wasn't. Well, we'll just see how this goes, and you know, if we decide we want to stay married, no, we're committed. Everybody say we're committed. Amen. They do, they raise the bar of righteousness with those they lead. Uh, they don't dumb down the thing. I mean, if there's a there's a dumbing down of in a lot of areas when it comes to righteousness and holiness and a lack of commitment and, and and let me just tell you, a lot you know what you know what the bigger picture in the in our church culture is today? It's a consumer mentality rather than a committed servant mentality. Did you know that? In the bigger picture of, of church, it's consumer minded people. They're shopping for church or what it'll give for them what kind of bang you get for your buck. Now, I believe as a church, we need to serve our community and we need to do our best. But the mindset of our people can't be a a consumer mindset. It has to be a servant mindset. And I'm a committed thing. I'm committed to this thing. And I'm into this thing. I've signed on for the long haul, brother. And I'm here through thick and thin. Blow it up. Boom. Are you with me? Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. I'm liking this. Nobody else is. All right. Number seven. Great leaders don't fleece the flock, they feed the flock. Great leaders don't fleece the flock, they feed the flock. Look in Nehemiah 5:14. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the twentieth year until the thirty-second year of King Artaxerxes, twelve years, he was gone a while from his cupbearer capacity. I don't know if Artaxerxes knew it was going to take that long, but he was gone for 12 years, even though he rebuilt the wall. Uh, Neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions, but the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine, besides 40 shekels of silver. uh, Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of the Lord. Now, sadly some of the biggest leadership weaknesses that we've seen over the years has to do with the mishandling of money right just when the when the money cometh leaders goeth i mean what were you thinking but great leaders, they don't fleece the fog. In fact, look what he says. Uh He didn't take it from them. He he blessed them. And so so he said, I've got too much fear of God to do that. And I've seen it in my the course of my life. Some of the some of the people who were early influences in my life. This is where they they made their mess. They got messed up, M- massive amounts of money messed them up, and they started thinking it was all about them. And uh, uh, but great leaders they don't fleece the flock; they feed the flock. This is what it's for. Amen. Somebody say amen. Number eight: Great leaders guard against any attack on their integrity. Uh, chapter six: uh, Another attempt by. Sanballat and Tobiah, uh, he tried to, they they wanted to get him to compromise. And so he's on the wall uh, and they come together. And verse two, they said, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. How many of you know your enemies are always wanting to do you harm? It's amazing to me how some of our leaders in our government today want to work out some kind of compromise with people who want to cut off our heads. Think about it. How ludicrous is that? I better get off my soapbox, okay? And talk to people who believe we're the infidel and try to compromise and work out a plan of how we can coexist. You can't coexist with people who want to cut off your head. Are you with me saying amen? That's just me. And so here they are, come down. They sought to do him harm. And and he said, I can't come down. Verse 3, I sent messengers to them. He didn't even show up at the meeting. I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? And they kept after him. And so uh, he did not allow his integrity to be undermined. By these, by a compromise, and I always tell people when somebody invites you to the valley of Ono, what do you tell them? Oh, no. I got better things to do than go to the valley of Ono. Everybody go, oh, no. I'm not going to the valley of Ono. All right. Um, uh, here's, the, here's the two blanks: don't dialogue with the enemy, don't listen to the lies of the enemy. They're all lies. He's the father of lies, okay? And you guard your integrity. Don't make a com- don't compromise with the devil. Number nine, great leaders have a keen sense of prophetic perception. Now, even on a secular mindset, they have, some people call it a, 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 an intuition I've seen this before. Great leaders, even from a secular standpoint, they have a, a, some kind of sixth sense about what's going on. When nobody else can see it, they see it. But from a spiritual standpoint, great spiritual leaders are in tune and have a great sense of discernment about what's really going on in the world. Are you with me? Now, uh, and so here's here's what we see. There was a conspiracy, one of the final conspiracies. Uh, and um, let me see if I can jump in. Verse, oh, let's do verse 10 because I'm I'm about done. Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah the son of Deliah, De- the son of whoever they are who was a secret informer. And he said, let, me meet, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. Indeed at night, they will come to kill you. Now this had all this, it, this sounded right. I mean, it sounded like this guy's for him, right? Man, I found out some news, they're coming to kill you. Let's go hide in the temple. And I said, should such a man, I love this, should such a man as I flee, Who is there, uh, and who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Verse 12 Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way in sin so that they might have cause for an evil report that they may that they might reproach me my god remember tobiah and sanballat according to their works and their prophetess noadiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid now listen great leaders are not swayed by every Tom, Dick, and Harry that comes along and says, Thus saith the Lord. There's, there's a, How many of you know there's a valid prophetic voice in the world today, right? But listen, great leaders know the difference. And they know. And so there was a sense of perception. I perceive. There's something on the inside of me that goes, Mm-mm-mm-mm. This sounded right, but this is not right. Okay, there we go. And finally, great leaders are great finishers. And it says in verse 15, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elu in 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Everybody said amen. Man, Nehemiah is an awesome guy. He wasn't perfect, but in, in, in this moment, he was, he was brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. And let me just throw this out. Let me see what time it is here. I don't wanna, I'm about done. Let me just say this. I believe all of us have seasons in our life. This was a 52-day snapshot of Nehemiah. But it was a significant, prophetic, important thing that happened through the cupbearer, the king. And let me just say, let me throw this out. This is what I feel. I think all of us have some Nehemiah moments, either under our belt or ahead of us, where if we will rise to the occasion, God will use us greatly as great leaders in the midst of uncertain times. And so, I want to encourage you. I want you to begin to think that way. I want you to begin to expect that God wants to use you in a great way in this world, to influence others and make a difference in the world. I think all of us can... Humbly and righteously say, "I want to be a great leader in my life," because great leadership is not about big I little you. It's about burden for other people. Amen. So there you go. Uh, I want to encourage you to take these notes, think about them, ponder them. Go back and read Nehemiah. Read those at least those first six chapters, and reprocess this this illustration, this story, this amazing miracle that happened when one man, listen, one man got a burden that he didn't let die, that he said, I got to do something about this. I can't let this go. And he risked his life to come into the king's court with a downcast expression to accomplish God's kingdom purposes. Amen. Let's stand up together and ask God to help us be great leaders in our lives, people of influence, let's bow our heads. There's some people here who, let me just say, you have a low self-perception of yourself. Let me wax a little prophetic. You look at yourself and, and you, you're believing the enemy's report over you. You've listened to Sanballat and Tobiah that says, you can't do that. Even if a fox came along and jumped on that, it'd fall down. You've believed the lies and the deception of the enemy and stepped down off the wall. And I just hear God calling us to get back on the wall and to accomplish what God's called us to, to accomplish and to lead the way God would have us to lead and influence the way God would have us to influence in our world. We thank you for it tonight. Lord, we thank you that you're going to give us great grace to accomplish your kingdom purposes in the earth. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Y'all are awesome people. I want you to look around somebody and, and say, let us arise. Let's set our hands to the good work. Tell somebody, let's set our hands to the good work. We're going to arise and build and set our hands to the good work. Amen.